Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Do you think bananas are healthy? Think again. I'm Dr. Stephen Gundry, best-selling author of the Plant Paradox series, and on the Dr. Gundry Podcast, you're going to learn the foods to eat and the ones to avoid, to lose weight, boost your energy, and feel your most vibrant, active self this year. You'll also learn simple tips from the world's top experts on health and nutrition. Plus, you'll discover the truth about calories, how running could actually be hurting your health, and why fat won't make you fat. Subscribe now to the Dr. Gundry Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because I'm Dr. Gundry, and I'm always looking out for you. Perhaps you feel down or off or not entirely yourself. Easy to blame what's going on in the world and the news. But some of your negative feelings may actually be caused by gut problems. Serotonin, of course, is a chemical that's important for mood. And about 90% of the serotonin in our body is found in our gut. This means that if your gut health is off, you may not feel as, well, positive as you normally do. When you're taking care of your gut, you'll be amazed how much better you can feel. Here's how. Start taking Cognibiotics, the breakthrough mood-enhancing formula made by Bioptimizers. Formula starts with a solid foundation of prebiotics and probiotics to support gut health. And it does not stop there. Cognibiotics also includes 17 powerful herbs that are thought perhaps to enhance mood, manage stress, improve memory, if you think about it, Cognibiotics is also like two supplements in one because it supports your brain health through two different channels. And here's the best part. Cognibiotics comes with a one-year full money-back guarantee, so I encourage you to try it risk-free and see for yourself. Simply go to Cognibiotics.com slash Drew and use Dr. Drew to receive 10% off any order. Again, that is Cognibiotics, C-O-G-N-I, like cognition, C-O-G-N-I, B-I-O-T-I-C-S, Cognibiotics.com slash Drew. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, do keep the winds in the sail of the Corolla Pirate Ship. We do appreciate that. Support those that support us. We do try to check. Uh, you know, I'm very careful with who we allow to support us. Uh, so we hope that you uh, get the most out of that and support them so we can uh, continue this thing. Also, uh, do check out drdrew.tv where you can see all the streaming shows we're doing, drdrew.tv. And also, uh, if those of you have not head over to your mom's house for the After Dark show, you are missing out. So I suggest you do so. Today, our guest is a returning guest, Dr. Lisa Stroman. Her last appearance here was episode 169 in 2015. I can't believe it's been that long. That's- oh, no, I did another one. I've been on Vice. It was 169 and then 269. 269. There we go. She knows. I was going to say, how could it have been six years ago? That's nuts. Uh, her upcoming book is Digital Distress, Navigating the Digital Age, coming out shortly. And uh, the un- the other book that is out, Unplug, Raising Kids in a Technology-Addicted World, uh, Dr. Stroman is uh, an expert in these areas. We're going to talk all about it, and you can hear more at her podcast, The Point, with Lisa Stroman. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Of course, the Twitter is at always dot, a good time at dr. Lisa Stroman. S T R O H M A N, and website is drlisastroman.com. And so, one of the reasons, amongst others, that I wanted you back is that I'm just hearing nightmarish stories about, particularly sort of seven to fifteen year olds in this age of no school and lockdown. Uh, and of course, they're locked down with their screens, which uh, is your area of expertise and is making things that much worse. What are you seeing out there clinically? Clinically, it's it's a pretty big mess. Uh, we've got kids that, from a standpoint of 
school settings are handing them devices that previously when they were on campuses were able to be uh, locked down by the campus, like internet service or the school system. But, you know, in this rush to get kids access to education, they handed out all these digital devices and there is absolutely no way for them to monitor those in the home environment. So it's really um, striking to me, like how much has changed because you're seeing in some regards, a 185% increase, let's say in just one category of inappropriate photos, you know, sexting with one another. And, and that's what? just, and that goes all the way down to like third and fourth grade. Wait, wait, so, wait, slow down, slow down. Give us that data specifically. So, so you're seeing almost a 200% increase in this behavior of sending explicit images of one another, right? Correct. Down Correct. to age nine, eight. Yes. Yeah. We're seeing it in the elementary schools where we hadn't seen that before, because I think a lot of those kids didn't have access and they, at that point, you know, the parents were probably able to protect them a little bit more. But with parents now virtual, kids now virtual, there's just really nobody watching over anyone. And so the it's it's really messy and it's it's terrifying to me, like the mental health consequences of it all. So I, I just want to get into the behavior for a second because it's so shocking to me. And 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 is is are any of this being prosecuted as uh, trafficking child porn? Yes. So we, so I've been working with uh, investigators out of Canada. I've got a couple of investigators, one in Atlanta, one in uh, Florida now, but there is definitely an increase now of looking at the exploitation. It's, it's pretty crazy how open they are in doing it out <laughs> online. I mean, it's, it's like, they don't even, they don't have to hide anymore because you've got TikTok, you've got Snapchat, like you have all of these platforms out there where parents feel guilty that their kids are isolated and they're like, well, we don't want you to be, you know, totally completely without friends. So we're going to let you go onto these apps. And it's, it's just crazy, crazy because it's just open market for these predators to go after our kids. And how, what, but I'm, I'm still zeroing in on the fact that nine-year-olds are sending, I I don't understand how a nine-year-old does sexting or understands what sexting is. What, What do they think they're doing? Or they don't know. They're just doing something they've seen online. So a lot of them are like viral challenges. So one that's really exciting, um, I say with heavy sarcasm, who know me, um, is the dare me challenge. So they pop on and they're like, dare me to do anything. And that obviously goes really bad really quickly, uh, particularly with young kids in the room. So um, a lot of times you'll see these younger kids might have older siblings or again, like if you, the, I tell parents this all the time, if you're going to let your kids on social media, you just have to be prepared for them to be presented with sexual content. hundred percent. They are going to see sexualized content the minute you hand them access into the social media world. At any and age. that's just the reality at any, age. at any age, at any age. Like, yeah, I mean, you're, that's what you're going to see on Snapchat discover, because it's what sells ads. Do we know the impact of that yet or have any measurements of anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, what we see, there's a, there's a district up in Chicago. I have a call with them this afternoon. Uh, they've had 40 suicides. So we're seeing a lot of kids that are in um, lower SDS communities where families are impacted, that they're making these choices. And so, of course, forensically, we can go in and look at their digital footprint after the fact and recognize that they've gotten themselves, A, into drugs or into sexting or into some sort of exploitation where they just don't see a way out. 
In other words, they, they get taken advantage of somebody, then they feel guilty, and then they feel ashamed, and they feel trapped and, and depressed and scared. And, and of course, that age group, they have the magical thinking that, that this is some sort of rational way of getting out, right? Yeah. Well, and I think, if we, I mean, you would have to weigh in on this too, like the hormonal aspect of kids, like they're eating more. Um, I had, I took my daughter to the the pediatrician today and she's like, it's so crazy. She's grown two and a half inches in less than, a, you know, it's been a year. And she said that across the board, kids are growing faster. They're eating more. They have more hormonal like impact on them because of the foods that they're eating. So I don't know, like the, from the medical standpoint of that, Jeez. but it's from a mental health standpoint you think about just even how diet is impacting them so they're I, I wonder I'll, I'll tell you the other thing that happens that I've seen is uh, accelerated maturation in times of extreme distress I mean you see prepubertal changes and things very early in highly distressed populations so I'm wondering if this growth is some sort of bone plate phenomenon that's related to the stress not to the food you know, interesting. I mean, yeah. if, they, if they're if they're also seeing not pubertal changes but prepubertal changes, that's a sign that all that is going on. So yeah, words, so like, that's definitely our case. Uh, yeah. So shit, that just means that the, the being at home is so distressing. It's such a threat. I mean, from an evolutionary biological standpoint, humans reproduce in times of plenty and times of threat. So if it's if it's a distressed, threatening times. They want to get to their reproductive capacity and reproduce quick, right? So, right. so the species goes on, and that's what the biology does. And same in time of plenty, you want to reproduce a lot because there's plenty to go around, and so you can you can accommodate reproduction. But man, that's bad news to me. That that is just awful. Well, that it's, it's terrible news for in my world of mental health because I think that a lot of times we're looking at it, we're like, oh, you know, this is we're going to have a COVID slide. You know, kids are going to lose about a year of education. Sheesh. You know, we'll rebound. Ugh. But but I'm looking at the mental health, and we're looking at three to five years of impact trauma. And in some cases, we may not be able to walk it back. In a way, how do you in, take it away? Yeah, I was going to say, in a way, this early maturation is like looking at the rings on a tree. You know what I mean? There's a drought, and then there's rain, and the the rings change from a standpoint of the growth and maturation of the tree. Humans do the same thing. Humans do the same thing. And so that is just ugh. And then, of course, they're heading into these reproductive biologies before their frontal lobes are ready, and they're being exposed to all this shit online. Wow! And they're having delayed cognitive development because they're not in school. How do we? How right. do we recover this generation? How do we help them get back from this? It's almost like a well, war. It's like a war, kind of. Right. And that's not even taking into consideration the parents that are, you know, I've got a 12 and a 13 year old. I know yours are older, but it's, it's stressful. Like, I mean, you're in a, in a household really? with, <laughs> with kids that may not want to be there with you. Right. So. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and we don't even, we have no idea what the impact of all that is. Right. I mean, some parents are more adaptive and more able to teach, and others, it's not their suit. It's not their strong suit. I couldn't have done it. We, we, Susan and I look at each other all the time and just go, oh, my God, thank God. Thank God we're not trying to do this. I mean, really, triplets, seven-year-olds, or eight-year-olds, or ten-year-olds, like, <gasps> it just takes our breath away even to think about it. Gary, you're, you're having a reaction. I've just it's, – <laughs> it's, 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 it's all ages. I mean, we can't – my kid can't go do things that normal kids can do. He's never been to a mommy and me class. My kid's 18 months, Lisa, and, oh. you, know, he, you know, he's doing – I'm I'm very glad he's not seven. I'm very glad he's not 
not 14. My nephew's 14. That's a nightmare. But it's affecting him, too. We, <laughs> we go to the grocery store, and he sees another kid that's around his age. He freaks out because he wants to go play. And yeah. it's just – it's not yeah. it's not happening. Mm. It's, it's just yeah. it's awful. We, yeah. we have no, What is the social implications of that? We don't even know. We don't right. know. We don't know. Right. And uh, I, I, I mean, I guess you could look at it and go, well, you know, human families have been isolated in peri- previous periods of history and stuff. It's like, eh, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that had consequences too. We just didn't measure it. Um, so let's go back to the mental health consequences. So, so you're, you've mentioned suicide. Uh, yeah. We know that drug overdoses are way up. Uh, a friend of mine, Laura Berman, just lost her son on a fentanyl overdose through Snapchat. I did read that. Uh, yeah. Uh, talk about that phenomenon for a second because that – that it, it it didn't surprise – it surprised me it happened to her but it didn't surprise me that that is happening. So so I think that when you look at – you have almost a 60% increase if I – you know, I shot you over some stats that I have from a partnership I have with education. But you see about a 60% increase in kids even just talking about drugs online. So when you talk about what, um, unfortunately, my Dr. Berman's son, she, you know, a lot of times the parents go in and say, oh, because they have access to Snapchat, uh, that might, that's why my kid is access to this. Well, it's not really entirely the whole picture because what Snapchat affords is a platform where you have this world of nefarious dealers that go in and they, we, the kids call them plugs. I should say we call them, but they're called plugs. And so they talk about them in ways that adults don't know, and they don't know how to track it. Uh, I say that maybe parents don't know how to track it. Those of us that are in the world, like you look at hashtags and they'll say bars, perks, um, and anything you want, you can put in there um, a Molly and you put, use a hashtag and those plugs go in and a kid, all he has to do is throw a snap up, put it in a story and it goes out and it gets distributed and then they come back and then they hook up and the plugs will actually go and deliver it straight to your house. Wow! So it is so freaking easy for these kids to get drugs nowadays that uh, it's the number one thing I say to parents that are struggling with kids with addiction. I say, throw away the phone. What, what, is, what does plug said, stand for? A drug dealer. But, but I mean, a drug dealer is a plug. It's not an acronym. Like yeah. to say like, I've got a plug. It's yeah. like, I've got a hookup. It's just, I like, got just a hookup, it's correct. a dealer. It's yeah. a, yeah, it's a, yeah, just a name that got caught on. Wow. Uh, God only knows what adult addicts are doing. Well, so, I mean, I, I think you and I had an offline conversation where I've got a, I've got a um, doc that I see who's, you know, gone through the full program. He's been sober for like 28 years. Everything's great. And he was like, during the pandemic, he was like, yeah, I was kind of thinking like mushrooms might be a thing oh, to try oh for my depression. And I was like, yeah. Do you remember who you are? <laughs> you remember your condition? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it's, you know, we're feeling lonely. And so, I feel so fortunate because in this partnership with Gaggle, I'm able to go in and look at the numbers. Those are the numbers I just sent you. Um, they I, go back I, and can they, I tweet these numbers? Sure, they're yeah. pretty disturbing. Yeah, um, but Gaggle what, what, what is they look at educational. That is uh, K through twelve. Wow. So if and that's those are the those are the um, the schools that have their content. So they go through and they scan Microsoft. Teams, they go through Google Classroom. And so that's not even looking at their social. Those are the numbers of the kids that are that are actually using academic platforms to talk about this stuff. Wow. So in in their world, they've had to shift employees. So most of these kids now, instead of going to bed at around 11 at night, are up until four in the morning 
So they've had to shift their employment hours for their oversight world in order to be able to watch these kids in the middle of the night. It's pretty crazy the amount of changes that, that are happening behind the scenes in order to keep up with what these kids are talking about. Say that again. Who, who is having to stay up all night? Uh, so Gaggle is the company that I work with and, uh, Gaggle is, has a, they basically have a safety monitoring team. And so they have AI that comes in and they look for key terms and things like that. And then that goes to a real person and the real person identifies and views it. And if it's a real time threat where a kid's saying they're going to kill themselves or hurt themselves or cut themselves, that alert goes out to the adults that are attached to that account, uh, as well as typically in most cases to a law enforcement person partner Jeez. because we we can't keep up with it i mean you look at you i mean i just sent you these numbers because i thought you should know this <laughs> yes, increase in self-harm and suicide uh and that's that's the difference between pre-pandemic post-pandemic in that same season that's an incredibly high increase in that same time period it's awful and that's only the stuff on the academic platforms god only knows what's out on social Right. And and so what we're finding is, you know, part of the issue that I see is that these alerts go to academic super like the principals, counselors, things like that. Then it goes to the parents. And do you have a parent that is equipped to handle that? So for me to get plugged in in mental health, it's like eight steps out. So the kids, even if they're identified, it's still hard to get to them in time. Well, I was going to say, if you see any of these things, it's not a parenting issue. This is what I think parents don't understand. It's it's now a, a medical problem, a mental health problem, right? It becomes a mental health problem, correct. Yeah, and, and a, you're not yeah. going to parent your way out of this, which I think that's what they believe they're able to do. Right. Well, and that goes, that goes to, there was an article that came out today and you know, I've been talking about this for about 10 years, but Snapchat just, they just came out and they said the snap discover is very similar to our Facebook, Instagram, all of that, where it's curated content. So the Snapchat algorithms figure out what they want the kids to see or not see. And so what, what it tells me is that we, as, as a society have decided if our kids are on social media, that that content is going to be more influential than parents and it's going to be more influential than teachers. So that is where they're getting their news. That is where they're getting their advice. Uh, I've got a 28 year old that came to me and he's like, well, he's like, I've been getting my therapy off of TikTok because there's a therapist that posts this. And, and he said, and this is what he said on TikTok. And I was like, yeah, that's not right. That's completely wrong. It's like the opposite you know, basically it's alienating him from his parents and it was because it's bad advice, but because he's on TikTok and he's got a a degree, he's like, well, I thought, I thought that maybe I should listen to him. (laughs) Well, maybe not, you know, but you know, I think that Gary's of that Gary's you're in that world. I think that, right. Like the, he's, you probably have talked about this where he's in that world where he grew up with it and, without it in some respects. Yeah, I'm a I'm definitely a weird in between where uh, you know, cell phones were not omnipresent in my childhood, but I've watched the entire evolution and now I'm starting to feel old and disconnected from my nephew who's 14 and is just doing different things. I I still stay up on it, but I'm not into the Snapchat world the way he is. I don't think you can, you know, I'm a parent uh, that didn't grow up in it because I'm older than you. And I, I've chosen to raise my kids and educate them on why these things are dangerous and not give them access 
as young children, elementary school children, because regardless of the fact that everybody else, and I'm the worst parent in the world, (laughs) let them have access to it. Um, You know, now my daughter in eighth grade is literally probably one of the most normative eye contact, you know, kids that the teachers are like, she's a pleasure to have in class. She's engaging. She has conversations and it's, you can just see the difference between the kids that are with and those are without. How many? I'm just I'm just thinking about um, your daughter. I mean, how many other kids are there that don't have access to to you know social media? You're the only one that I know of. You know what I mean? Uh, well, it's interesting. Like, so I've been doing the DCA program, Digital Assistant Academy program. Our elementary school had it, so all of her peers have had it since first grade. And six out of seven of her friends at this, her table that she sits at, none of those parents, none of those kids have social media. Oh. Whereas the three other elementary schools, which did not go through education and information and training, those kids typically have it. So we're looking at, to me, I think fundamentally, it's a parent education port piece. And then the, a portion of it is give the kids a voice, empower them to understand what this could do and what it can't do. So, so I tweeted your data and now people are freaking out. What what shall I post as the source? Gaggle. Yeah. So if you put at gaggle, that's their handle at at G A G G L E. Yeah. Like a gaggle of geese. Uh, two G's G A G G L E. What I've got is gaggle underscore K 12. Is that them? Is that on, what are you tweeting? Tweet, or you're on, yeah, that's them. That would be them. Yep. Yeah, that's them. I just confirmed it. While Drew does that, mm-hmm. Lisa, do you what do you think about um, the recent documentary that's been getting a lot of a lot of play on Netflix, The Social Dilemma? Is that something that you you viewed? Yes, I viewed that one, and I think it's incredibly helpful to understand. I've actually watched it twice. Uh, because of course I'm, I'm the nerd that goes in and fact checks like what these founders are, you know, now come to, to realize. So, uh, Tristan Harris, uh, who came out and, you know, did this fundamental, you know, Jerry Maguire moment and said how awful everything was and presented his, um, his argument to his world. This way, this was not the guy on the source on the, on the documentary right no it is it is the it guy is. yeah this is the guy so was he, the sales he was the marketing guy yes yeah. he was yeah. and he's subsequently done a three-hour rogan podcast yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's very impactful a lot more there's a lot more back and forth you know someone's able to ask him questions and yeah. lisa by the way i know you're the nerd who goes and fact checks that's exactly <laughs> why i asked you <laughs> <laughs> well so i went and looked and so he presented that in like 2016 but then he stayed three years you know, kind of got his exit and like all of those kind of things, which is, I get it, you know, but all of those guys went through the world, made those differences, made a bunch of money, then started having kids. I think Tristan doesn't have kids, but then started having kids or families. And then they were like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't great. So when I look at it, I think it's interesting that this, I know that we've talked about this before, but I feel like you've got this very young tech entrepreneur who's starting out with this idealistic view of like, oh, this would be really great if we could connect everybody in the world and didn't think about it getting out out of control. Right. So I think that I, I tell everybody to watch Social Dilemma. And then another one I would say to add to that is Fake Famous. And if you have not seen that, it's on HBO right now. It is terrifying right. at how realistic and uh, like the influential, like the influencer world is in terms of how 
seriously uh, curated and fake it is. Is that is that uh, a, a, a scripted thing or is it a, do- a documentary style? It's, so it's a documentary. Yeah. It's um, Nick Bilton, who used to he's a journalist who wrote he's written on tech for years. Uh, all the major magazines, but he basically said, let's do a social experiment. We're going to take three people who are unknown and we're going to buy them uh, followers and we're going to buy them content iterations. And we're going to show that we can take a nobody and we can make them an influencer and make them famous. And, and then, and that's yeah. on the, the HBO now. Is that's that on HBO Max, Max, which is yeah. That, I'm reading the synopsis here, which Lisa just explained very well. It looks fascinating. I mean, terrifying. Fascinating. Terrifying. I always, I always walk away with a chill feeling when I talk to Lisa about this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean chill, relaxed. I mean like a chill down my spine. Like shit, it's still getting away from us. It's still. How do you think? How do you think I feel? Your kids, your kids are well adjusted. Maybe pretty much adults. Who knows what? Yeah, they are adults, but who knows what this is? I will make my judgment from the outside. They seem very well adjusted and proficient to me. But but. they didn't have this back then. They really didn't. They, they, they. I can tell you what they were exposed to was e bombs world. I remember that. Remember that? Oh yeah. And and, uh, Homestar Runner, which I thought was good enough. (laughs) That was fine. And (laughs) uh, and then Face uh, MySpace came in. Yeah. And we monitored that very carefully and had some issues with it, but that wasn't as uncontrolled as all this. So, well, I think, I mean, for me, like you look at, and Gary, here's some like silver lining, and hopefully it comes through down a little bit. I, I my kids grew up <laughs> in this world where they were, they were handed devices and access to technology in the school system, you know, in kindergarten. Yes. And from my perspective as a parent, like they, um, ABC mouse, like all of those, like learn to read yeah. all of those apps that are on there. My kids participated in them. I let them participate in those educational softwares yeah, because yeah. that's, that's a good interaction with technology. We're using as tools. The minute that they only did the activity because they wanted the sticker, it became gambling and I turned it off. Wow. That's- so the minute your kid realizes it, and the game is up and it's not because they're enjoying the art or they're enjoying learning their letters or they're, they're participating in it that way. That's the minute you should turn it off. Cause that's when you, that's when you can just see it happen. If you, if you're a parent and I know, you know, as you, you've got an 18 month old, so I always say nothing before age two, hopefully, but, um, but yeah, it's, you can see it happen. And that's most parents, I, I think want to do the right thing, but they just don't know. And that's been my it's push. hard, especially if you have multiple kids. I mean, you're fighting, you know, you're fighting a, a force. Yeah, I'm lucky right. that uh, to just have the one so far. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, a team defense, you know, two on <laughs> one, uh, which helps. I know we were in, we were in zone all oh, the time. I, I can't imagine three on two. God, you you had to have been in prevent half the time, just yeah, trying to keep oh, them alive. <laughs> no, that's exactly it's right. exactly what it was. I know. I, yeah, I can I can and, see it without, and, and it, without doing it. Yeah, and if and, and if one if it was three on one, forget it. Oh, just forget it. Uh, we we would do that occasionally. Well, I I did that once, and there was an earthquake, and you think, oh shit, oh. and when oh. the, and their play area was by a chimney, and I'm I'm literally gathering three probably one year olds at the time and running out into this backyard. Oh, oh my god. So anyway. I, I don't want to think about that. I get PTSD. I was when just I think like, about it. I was just you just started sweating. I, 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 I get there's so much happened to us. I can't believe we got through it. <sighs> anyway.
Did you know that aging actually begins in our cells? Of course, the cells age. That's us aging. Many aspects of our daily life can influence how well our trillions of cells perform and, of course, then how we age. Age-associated cellular decline, or AACD, is a time-related deterioration in the way our cells function as we age, beginning in our 40s and accelerating in our 60s. Over time, our cellular process becomes less efficient, which can contribute to, contribute to things like fatigue, reduced muscle strength, and impaired cellular defenses. To help address these changes, try incorporating nutrients that work on a cellular level into your wellness routine. Celtrient Cellular Nutrition is a breakthrough with a range of nutritional products with cellular nutrients to target cellular performance. Celtrient is the first brand to provide a range of cellular nutrients, including nicotinamide riboside, urolithin A, glycine, and N-acetylcysteine all help prevent key sources of AACD. Visit Celtrient.com for more info. I take them every day, and you can find out which Celtrient product is right for you. Use code DrDrew10 for a 10% discount. You've heard me talk about our friends at BetterHelp. That's right. Therapy can be exactly what you want it to be, in fact. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It may or may not be for you, but it's worth looking into because you are your greatest asset. Uh, I have been significantly impressed by uh, BetterHelp, the BetterHelp therapist, the results they get. I've referred family there, I've referred patients there, and I'm consistently happy with the services at BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Dr. Drew podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Drew. Again, that is Better, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash Drew. But uh, I, I think it's all you're talking about raises all my anxiety about child rearing, right? Even though I went through it before all this, I was an anxious parent, and so I can relate how overwhelming this must be for people that are trying to fight this back. And I really worry about I worry about the unknown effect of all the sexualization. Uh, it just we just don't know what that's doing to people's brains. Well, I, well, I think I guess the argument would be we know a lot if you look at the research on porn, right? So if you look at the research on porn and how that impacts the brain and you look at the fact that it stunts development that, um, I mean, I've had 20 something year olds that can't get erections because they've been watching porn too long. Right. Right. But that's, you know, but again, let's, okay. To me, that's an obvious thing, which is you get exposed too early. It hyper arousal, you get locked in, you get addicted. That's an easy one. But just looking at these images that are so, it it just shatters the upper limits of the brain's capacity to regulate. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. as it, as it is, you know, I, I've had an opinion that sort of males particularly get 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 wired into images really between like 11 and 13, 11 and 14. Do you agree with me? Yeah, yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah. And, and and if it was Playboy, like back in our day, it's like it's still in your head. I mean, you hear Adam talk about it. He's 55 years old. He, he talks to – he has the names of the women he was looking at when he was 12. He remembers it. Of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you know what I mean, and he's not. A, I mean, it's a little exceptional, but not that unusual. But imagine now what they're looking at. It's just like, what does that do to them? What does that do to their sense of 
physical intimacy and relationships and what they're looking for. It's just – and satisfaction and arousal and all that stuff is just being altered it seems to me. And I, and I just don't know – I just don't know what it's going to do to relationships. I don't know. Well, that well, coupled with what you're – sorry to interrupt, Lisa. But I, I think, Drew, it's it's not only that, but it's that coupled with what your sons are experiencing right now, which is they're terrified. No one, yeah. They don't want to be so, bad so, guys. Right. So, so, so that's – so one one aspect is fuck this. I'm out, right? That's one, that's one potential uh, response. Uh, another is – Oh, I get that. That's not real. That's bad. What is real and good? I don't want to see a, be a bad dude. I want people to think good of me. And oh, by the way, I don't want to be me too. And I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be, you know, empathic and attuned. And how do you do that? I'm scared. Uh, and there's even now. I spoke to a woman named Deborah So S O H. This mm-hmm. is let me say this is not my opinion. This is not my opinion, but this is an opinion that is out there and a scientific observation that she has made that a certain percentage of female to male identified transgender did so were aware that that um phenomenon took hold in them after watching p- aggressive porn and going I don't want to be a female anymore. I don't want anything to do with that. It's not wow. my opinion. Not my opinion. I don't know if that has scientifically sound – if that's been resubstantiated or not. But we're just talking about the impact on the brain. Uh, and much like many other experiences in childhood, whatever it does to your development, that's your development. OK, fine. But isn't that interesting that that's – you know we don't know the full spectrum of the impact of watching this porn. Well, I, I guess my argument would be that if, you, if I look at the relationships – because I'm in the weeds with these kids. There is so much um, – polyamorous, polysexual, uh, openness in this, in this generation, the Gen Z generation that's coming up specifically that sex is almost just a normative commodity to them. So can I get a ride home? Sure. If you give me a hand job. Okay. (laughs) And so this whole me too movement that I feel like a lot of women felt empowered by, and that like, we can finally get some grounding is being eradicated by this younger generation that has been, you know, that's being raised on the, on this concept that sex isn't really a big deal. And, and that's the, that's what I see clinically happening. And when I talk to kids that even aren't patients that are just like, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal. It's just sex. Um, and, and is that a defensive posture? Is is that a universal feeling or, or is it, you know, some kids that that's a that's their feeling, and others it's a little bit more ambivalent. Yeah, I think it's. I think the, the it gives them attention, and I think that it's it what draws it. It's what can draw a crowd in some respects, right? I think it's very popular. It's actually popular to be a victim. So there's, I've got a ton of boys that are being accused of sexual assaults that have never happened where I've got girls that are very good friends with the other girl. And those friendships are falling apart because they're like, that never happened. She hooked up with him at a party in the room we were in and we saw it happen in front of them. And then three days later, it's like, oh no, I'm a sexual assault victim. And I want to, I want to, I want people to come to my aid. And that, that scares me. Because because then now we're talking about things that aren't real. That but but also so, it also implies that they don't understand the impact of sexual behavior. That, that maybe, right, they're I too mean, young, or they're not right. Yeah. So she, I, I'm going to bet the woman, the girl, actually did feel assaulted, but didn't understand what she was engaged with, and then afterwards did feel assaulted. 
Well, and so, okay, so let's go down that rabbit hole of when do you, when do you make that determination? So if you're engaged in a sexual experience and so, and I've got a a lesbian client who's had this situation happen and now she's been told um, by a peer group that she's a rapist and that she sexually assaulted someone and she's had to go to, to um, re-education on, there's a book that she's had to read sexual citizens, which is terrifying. If you, if you want to read that um, about how the, uh, the population inside of school campuses just create this mass like sexual assault that kids can do. But, but in the reality, yeah, the, basically they're saying like that the dorms are set up for sexual assaults to run rampant and that's on us as the people who develop them, that we're not protecting them. And I'm not through the book. So I'm, but it's, it's, it's terrifying as a mom of a girl and it's terrifying. And I've got one girl, one boy. So I'm, I'm terrified for my daughter. And I'm also very now clear that I have to have really strong conversations with my sons or my son, like you've had to have with your sons. Isn't it that basic? Isn't it that it's not sex is not just a commodity. It's not just basic. People have all kinds of very intense reactions to it. And don't they need that message? I mean, yeah, if all, if I mean, all they I get is that people, so. if all they get is that people feel victimized and don't understand, they're going to feel victimized. That should be enough to call them off a little bit, no? We're, yeah, I mean, but it's it goes back to like, is it is it? A, it's not enough to be able to say like, I had this, I had this relationship with a kid, and it didn't work out, right? And if it didn't work out, like you have to, you have to identify it as deeper than that, and you have to come out with a story. Because and this this is just me attaching the the social training that happens online yeah. is that if you don't have enough following and you don't have enough people liking or you don't have enough people paying attention to you like you're going to try to get that yep. and so I'm not I'm not for sure I'm not claiming that that no one is getting assaulted and I'm not saying that that doesn't ever happen but I'm saying I'm curious as to whether or not like developing these stories that do gain that attention, even if it's a secondary gain of, of sympathy is being trained into these kids to, to start doing it. That's what it feels like to me from a clinical perspective. And so how do we have this conversation without people canceling for saying that you're not, you know, you're normalizing victimization of girls and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that we say that, yeah, I mean, how do you, who becomes the arbiter of who has been victimized? Well, I think, I think the easy thing is to start getting them to understand that sexuality has real consequences and that mm -hmm. they need to be very sure about what they're doing. It's not just a a simple commodity. I mean, they, they need to dial it back. No. They definitely need to dial it back and they need, and they, and again, this goes back to, you need to pay attention because if you, like my daughter is 13 and she's a a young 13, right? Because she hasn't been sexualized by all this stuff. If you look at her soccer team out of the 12 girls that are on it, five of them are very young and pretty innocent. And then the other seven, you can tell that have their, you know, shorts hiked up above their butt. So you can see their butt cheeks hanging out. You can see their, the videos that come out with them, like dancing and like, gyrating to various things and they're they're 13 the same age yeah and so it's you've got this massive break and then you know my world you know working now with gaggle has been amazing like 11 year olds that are offering sex in the bathroom like that should never be happening well again i just i keep seeing that we need to really this idea of uh sexuality being healthy and free is great but that there's major consequences that have got to be communicated to young people. And it doesn't sound like we're doing that. 
No. And in, in fact, we're terrified to, I mean, if I'm in, we've had a ton of people move here from California, shockingly recently. What? Amazing. Um, <laughs> and those parents are telling me that they're, you know, one, they're one of their lines. One of the parents told me that my line was that I had to sign a waiver in a class that I wasn't, that my child wasn't going to be racist, uh, homophobic, something like there's a bunch of like things that the kid, that the parents and the kid had to sign in order to return to, to, I think it was like a social studies class. And, and he was like, I don't even know how to talk to my 10 year old <laughs> about this. Um, let alone have him sign like a contract binding him to this concept right now. So you're right. We need to learn how to have conversations about it and learn how to deeply as families, I think it goes back to what are, what are we going to have influencing our kids? Do you want somebody else to teach our kids these values or does it come from our family and come from who we are um, internally? And that's well, but, but of course every family wants to be the source of this, but, but you're making an important point, which that there are these social forces out there that are shaping how young people behave and how they think they should behave. It's not their yeah. fault. It's just this is just this is what they're exposed to. And so they're they're building these sense of human relating that that has it's incomplete. And of course it's incomplete because they're so young. Uh, and and again we have no just to imagine being that age and being exposed to all this stuff on social media and it'd be it'd be just so confusing. And then at the same time, you know, the the hormonal motivate, you know, the motivational states that they're going into are. I, I don't know why God did that. <laughs> God did, he did it way too young, uh, yeah. especially to the I, the males. Particularly, are overwhelmed by what they're dealing with, and and we need to help them uh, sort of channel and contain this stuff, which is what most of human history has been about, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge part of who we are as humans. I mean, that's our that's a biological drive in us that in that hormonal piece of, um, to your point, puberty plus a little testosterone is messy. And um, estrogen with like this massive, I mean, there's so much drama in the girls brains, like, I don't, I don't know how you contain that. Uh, now, when you have kids that are at home, and maybe the parents aren't there, and they're on their own with I've got one family that's got four kids and the 14 year olds in charge. (laughs) There's not a lot of there. There's not a lot of oversight there. And you've got a 14 year old that's super hormonal and interested in like having a life socially and a seven year old that needs somebody to help them make good choices at home. And it's, it's hard. (laughs) Is there, let's just sort of approach this maybe from a slightly different position, which is, is there a, is there a world where the companies are held responsible for the consequences on kids' uh, survival? The you mean the tech companies? Yeah, or some of these platforms, or something where they can be held. I, I don't know. Uh, I think it, well, it's going to have to go there. I, I think I've been talking a lot about uh, the congressional oversight and and look at Section two hundred and thirty is the one that you're probably looking at. Uh, which doesn't apply to child exploitation. So there's no reason why they have been protected from that liability thus far. But I think that you're going to have to definitely hold that somebody, somebody has to be held accountable for not going in and for instance, deleting out plug and hashtag bar and hashtag Molly and, you know, like all of the stuff that we know that the kids are using to transmit information that's going to be negatively impacting them 
we should probably turn that off. Probably, and, yeah, probably. <laughs> why not? Right? <laughs> yeah, why don't we probably do that? What, so for people that don't know, Dr. Stroman is also an attorney, and so you're the perfect person to be involved in these cases when they develop, right? Yeah, yes. I mean, that's one of the investigators I'm working with. It's That's that's part of what we're looking at is do we – I've been saying this for a long time. It's big tobacco all over again. And it's not as simple – I try to explain this to people – when we turn, when we created Section 230 congressionally to protect a brand new baby internet to start off, which made sense at the time, and it was there's a couple of big lawsuits against Prodigy and CompuServe at the time, and so they came in. They're like, "Oh gosh, like if we allow these people to get sued, we'll never the internet will never take off." So I get that, but now you're at a point where 20 years later and billions of dollars into it that they've made. And they're managing and curating and controlling the narratives in so many different realms for our children's education, for political discourse, for global economies. Like, okay, so if we just shut that off and we say, okay, we're going to take that away. Let's just pretend we did that. Simple solution. Now we have no competitor that comes into the world that can compete against a company that has billions of dollars of, of, I guess, a head start. So nobody would be able to be in that same scope. Well, they could at the same time break them apart, I guess, right? Right, which seems like it's a little bit more likely that. um, And and I think, I think that in some respects, it's already happening. I don't know if you know. You know, Facebook has a European um, different content rules that are over there. So in in Europe, they have the right to be forgotten, for instance where if you have something that's posted about you online and it's damaging, untrue, hurtful, uh, it was a mistake, uh, you can you can write in, you can lobby, and you can say, I'd like this removed. And wow. as long as it wasn't wow. something illegal, Imagine that. it's deleted. Jesus. How about that? <laughs> That'd be crazy. That would be – that seems like just something like that would be a sufficient model to take out harmful stuff. Wouldn't that be So it is not – it's super interesting. And the fact is that because Silicon, like Silicon Valley and the tech industries are housed in the U.S. and their lobbying yeah. dollars are so expansive, it's really hard to get that same law wow. for our citizens. Wow. But it would be amazing and it would change lives. I think we would have less suicides, less self-harm. Well, let's go For do sure, that. less overdoses. Let's go yeah. do that. Uh, how do we, yeah, how, I'm with you. Help me understand how to make a public uh, – uh, uh, some sort of slogan that we can rally around that helps people easily understand what this is, you know, like yeah. a, like a sentence that you know. Here's what we need to do. Boom. Right. I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'll do it. Let's I, do it. I'm looking for you to do that because I'll, I'll get okay. behind that. That that's that's yeah. my new homelessness thing because uh, there there's stuff that needs to change out in the world, and this could make a big difference for people. So I I am I'm deadly serious about this. You know, I, I really okay. want to try no, to because yeah, it seems like I have felt helpless uh, with what's going on in, in the world in, in, on the internet. But you tell me there's it sounds like this has very specific solutions associated with it, and, and I, I'm all about it. What um, how has the lockdown been for you personally? You know, I it's interesting. I'm I'm more of a social person, so what? I. <laughs> I like connection with people. I'm a hugger. I'm that person who I want to help people. And so being locked away is really hard. Um, my son is very much like me and my husband and my daughter, like the pandemic was like made for us. Like, huh. They're super happy um, being home and, you know, doesn't want it, you know, doesn't want it to change. So 
Wow. It's been challenging because we have half and half. Yeah. Yuck. I've hated the lockdown. I've hated it. Gary, you yeah. with me on this? Uh, oh, I'm I'm 100% with you, but I'm also, it sounds like I have a, a mix of what Dr. Stroman's household is like, because, uh, you know, we announced, what, four, three or four weeks ago, outdoor dining was, was back in SoCal, yeah. and I was like, let's go. My wife, my wife didn't bring it up. So and you live so much. In, and you're in Orange County. You know, I go down to Orange County to have some yeah, it's it's some been, pretend life. You know, it's been more like or less living. compared to LA. It's been on in Orange County this yeah, whole time. Compared, now, even been, even down there, it's not that on. I, I go down there to sort of have a facsimile of uh, you know a life. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's not it's definitely not normal in Orange County. And it, yeah. there was there was a few weeks there where they started to pretend to be normal, and then things started spiking, and everyone calmed down. But uh, you know, I I was at. I was at the restaurant where you had your that I know exactly when that week was because I was in Orange County and I was at the restaurant where you had your rehearsal dinner. Yeah, and it was a bar and it made and the bar was on and I w- we were like sort of mortified because people were coming up <laughs> they were drunk talking in your face and we thought oh no more no, well no, 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 that no, doesn't no. have to do with the pandemic that's just that city <laughs> no I, but, but I mean yes. that's that restaurant too but, but that restaurant but but. But we we were aware. We thought, oh, it's on. You know, we're going to go out, and then we thought, no, 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 no. They, they yeah. went way too and, hard. And, yeah. And so and so a lot of and by the way, just as an aside, a, a lot of what's happening now in many states. So my son just drove across the country, and he said, you know, pretty much everyone's the same now. Whether the state is locked down or not, people are automatically reducing their social interaction, and they're not going indoors at restaurants and things um, to protect themselves. That, that humans do that, and and I that that makes perfect sense to me. And uh, there was a friend of mine, a guy named Doctor Brilliant, uh, a friend of mine, wrote a paper that said um, something like, you know, locking down is not about the state or something. It's that you can people automatically adjust their behavior when there's threats. <laughs> like, everybody, we we're not dumb, you know. But anyway, but, the, but and, I think it, and yeah, unfortunately, well, the, the lockdown makes a, a certain population push against and not being willing to do the things that are sensible, which is you know what's that, Lisa? Like teenagers yeah. and young young adults. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I was watching the the Super Bowl uh, party and Tom Brady coming out of a bar. Wasted. It, it, yeah, yeah, and you know, of course, trying not to get on tape, but nobody had masks, the you know, masks and things yeah. like that. So yeah. I think that there's. You know, again, like there's like certain celebratory things that are happening on that. But I think my bigger fear is like, how do we like Gary's wife, like my husband, it's like people are getting really used to being at home and remote calling in. And I think that you're starting to see people like, can we just do our business this way? And so, you know, you're going to see a pretty big shift, I think, for those people that have figured out remote working. Yeah. That they don't want to go back and they don't want to be in front of people. Yeah, but but there'll be a mix. I, I, those like you and me and Gary, we're, I want. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to be out there. <laughs> we're going to be in it. A hundred percent. But to Lisa's point, like you know, especially with the ambiguity around you know the virus and yeah. the way it, it flows. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what the standard is going to be for my wife, where she's like, "Okay, let's go, let's go back to normal life." Like, I don't know what, what that, that number I don't know is. what that is. Yeah, and yeah. I, that really scares me. And and what if a variant shows up that starts spreading quickly? Exactly, which will shut back down again. Right. Yeah, that's the part about going forward that is a little unknown. Yeah. Yeah. We. we I don't know how that's exactly going to work. And I do not want this thing again. I assure you. <laughs> no. I assure you. And to be it's clear, I don't brutal. want it. I don't want it either. And I'm also, you know, I. Like you and me and Lisa, we're all very social, but yeah. I want to be social with my wife. Like I actually like my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, me we're too. still yeah. sort of yeah. new in our marriage. And <laughs> yeah. I want to live with no, no, my no. family, and it's 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 tough. Thank God, Susan and I are the same that way. So that's good. 
Well, I'm welcoming back Dr. Noel Reed. She's a board-certified family medicine physician, consulting physician for Celtriant Cellular Nutrition. You heard she and I talking recently about Celtriant, going to Celtriant.com and getting more information there if you guys were interested. I hope you were because cellular aging, cellular senescence, that is what you're looking at on the outside when uh, things started breaking down. And uh, I have actually been had my eye on many of these compounds for quite some time. And some of them I take and have taken on a regular basis. So let me bring Dr. Reed back in to tell you about Celtriant Strength. Talk to us about that. Sure. Thanks for having me again, Dr. Drew. You bet. Cellular sultrian strength. Um, I think we all know that as we get older, um, we we kind of lose our, our pep in our step, right? Uh, yeah, a <laughs> little bit. Not, not as fast as maybe we used to be. Um, and even when we're when we're athletic and we, we do things, I'm a yogi, I do yoga three, four times a week. Um, and still there are days where I'm like, I, I need some energy. Yes, I hear you. <laughs> um, and muscle stamina. And so um, I think that oftentimes we think that maybe we need more muscle mass, you right. know, in order to, to do better mm-hmm. in terms of our function. But that's not necessarily the case. I think that we really need to also know what's happening at the cellular level because it's not just the mass of the muscle, but how well those muscle cells are working. Okay, so, so this is also part of age-associated cellular, cellular decline. Our, our mitochondria need a little boost. Exactly. So when the mitochondria decline in, in, in each type of cell, you can imagine when that energy producer is not functioning as well, the cell doesn't function as well. So the tissues and organs that that cell make up do not function at its peak level of performance. So deep inside our body, there are important natural processes that may become less efficient. And so one of these is the quality control process known as metophagy. Okay, and so that's the recycling process of mitochondria, where underperforming mitochondria are removed from the cell and new ones are regenerated. And we know that we need efficient mitochondrial function in order for muscle strength to be at its peak level of performance. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Instead of getting rid of the ones that are underperforming and let's build up some new ones. Exactly. And so there are certain cellular nutrients that can be helpful to, to allow for this process to work, to work well and at its peak level performance. So, yes, proper nutrition needs to be in place. We need to get in our micronutrients, so vitamins and minerals and macronutrients, the proteins, carbs, fat that we need to meet our basic nutritional needs, but they have their limitations. They may not be able to penetrate at the cellular level and impact mitochondrial function. And that's where cellular nutrients come in, such as urolithin A. Have you heard of that before, Dr. Drew? I have heard of that, actually. Tell us about it. So urolithin A is actually a cellular nutrient that we do synthesize ourselves to a certain extent. So when we eat certain foods like pomegranates, berries, nuts. These foods contain a compound known as elicotannins. And when the elicotannins come in contact with our gut flora, the microbiome in our gut, urolithin A can be synthesized. However, only one in three adults have the right microbiome in order to produce the urolithin A that we need. And that's why supplementing can be very helpful and be the right choice uh, to improve our overall mitochondrial function within our skeletal muscle cells. Is that the main ingredient of the Celtrian strength or are there other products, other elements there as well? That is the main ingredient. So Celtrian cellular strength contains 500 milligrams of urolithin A Mm. um, and that's the recommended daily dose. And so that can be achieved with two capsules daily or two drink mixes. So it comes in two forms, capsule or a a mixed in powder form. And actually there was a clinical trial that was published in 2019 that showed that 500 milligrams a day 
of urolithine A increased markers of metophagy, that recycling process of mitochondria, mm-hmm. in older and older adults. And then there was a second clinical trial that found in healthy middle-aged adults, also when they supplemented with 500 milligrams a day of urolithine A, improved hamstring muscle strength after four months of supplementation. So this has been clinically proven, this particular ingredient or this, cel- cel- this cellular nutrient to improve overall um, function of muscle cells. Now, in the mixed uh, powder form, just to mention, because you asked where there are other sure. ingredients, yes. it does contain magnesium. Okay. And so you know that magnesium does play an essential role in regulating uh, you know, contraction and relaxation of muscle. Well, I am uh, going immediately and going to start this because I need to see what happens to my squats. Uh, so thank you for that, uh, Dr. Noel Reed. Visit Celtriant.com for more info and take a short quiz under the Find Your Celtriant tab. Discover which Celtriant products fix your needs. I'm going to do that right now. And then use that promo code Dr. Drew 10 for 10% discount. Again, Celtriant.com. Find your Celtriant and then use the code Dr. Drew 10 at checkout. But, uh, I, you know, at least I've got this long hauler stuff going on. It's just brutal, brutal, brutal. Uh, t- today I feel, right now I feel pretty good, but about two hours, who knows? You know, I just all of a sudden I have to lie down. Which is crazy, crazy because I, I think that when you look at, to me, like, again, I go towards the science. So yeah. I read some article about like, oh, if you have to have a mammogram, you shouldn't do that if you've had COVID or you've had your vaccine. And so there's all these little nuances because apparently some nodules could be like inflamed or, and I don't know, I look at it, I was like, all right, what's the end? How many people were tested? Is this yeah. real science? Because yeah. I don't believe anymore, even if it hits major news streams that it's oh. not an N of six. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> believe anything. You have to and one of the, one of the and by the way, talking to some fifteen to six year olds, one of the good thing that is coming out of that population is they don't they know that everything in the media is bullshit and that they have to really look at things objectively carefully on their own. Now of course they will be sucked into stuff that's not true, but but they're they're at least trying. They get it. They get that I've seen it heard a lot of that, that they they are being trying to be careful collating information, which I see as very positive. I see in about 87, there's a, some study that came out and said like 87% <laughs> of Gen Z is getting their uh, news source from their social, either Insta or Snap or so, you know, so to that point, it's like they're being way more careful, but now they're going and they're listening to peer group or right. peer, peer distribution age. of information. And so that's not always great. Right. And, <laughs> what? Six-year-olds <laughs> aren't a great source of information? Really? Not always, <laughs> yeah. Huh, huh, shocking. Um, yeah, I spent – one of the, the weird neurological things I had from COVID is I, I would – I'd just be in a, just like a fog and I would sit and scroll through uh, uh, TikTok for hours. And not oh. even and not even aware that time was passing. I was just so out of it. But but I got a pretty good exposure to what goes on there, which I'd never had before. I'd never really been on it, um, which was interesting. It was interesting. What do so you think I, of it? I spent most of my time going down historical rabbit holes on the War of the Roses and the Plantagenet <laughs> progression. Hey, spoiler <laughs> alert! That's not what most people are doing I, on TikTok. I know, but that's what I did. That's what I did. It was so crazy. But I thought the fact that I could do that pretty easily, like that, tells you how it gets. You're getting sent to you pretty quick. Yeah. You have a pretty very interesting TikTok stream. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> compared of, to the of, rest of us. A lot, lot of British history and stuff. What, what else did I get into? I got just, I went down, oh, oh, tap dancing. I went down a weird tap dancing hole. Uh, oh, my gosh. And let's think. Um, uh, musical uh, composing, like composing for musical theater. 
<laughs> I, was so, I was so out of it. Oh. I can't even believe that's on TikTok, actually. Yeah. Like, I'm well, shocked. Yeah, it's that good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Right? And by the way, yeah. and here's what I also I noticed, which was there are there are communicators. There are people that really know how to give you short little pieces of information that you can receive. And there are people that are giving you the same information. It's just like, mm. It's just not – it's not getting across. That was kind of fascinating to me. I, I, I thought about kind of communication and how that works and particularly communication in short, in short bites. It, it's Did a, you get the renegade dance down? Is that the TikTok <laughs> dance? Is that that dance? Thank you, Gary. Yeah. That, there, but, the, but there's another one out there. Th- this one with the, with the hands going by what, – what is that one called? <laughs> but the, but the, the one that was the original dance, right? Is that what you're talking about? There's lots of dance. No, Renegade like was a viral dance that he's going to show out. me this one. Is he? Are you going to do it? He's showing it to me on a. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I barely saw that one. I, I know what you're. I know what you're looking at. I that one did not really. That didn't fit with the Plantagenet uh, succession. I was just so, going to say your flapping so, hands. Like was that like your tap dancing? Did that? There was a different. There's another one. one. There's another dance out there that you there, know what I'm talking about. Where they they do this. Yeah, there. I, I don't know the name of it. Yeah, but yeah. That um, one for whatever reason is on my thread all the time. Yeah, there's you know the the dances kind of go in cycles, and there's always a new one. I would suggest that you uh, next time you're over at the uh, your mom's house studios, give your phone to Christine. And let her search a few TikToks. Yeah, no, but I know that'll she, spice up I, your feet look, a bit. I'm just telling you, she shows them to me. I don't, I don't know how she finds that disgusting stuff, but it, it, it's what we talk about. Same way you house. find tap dancing. What do you mean? I know, <laughs> but 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 it, it just I, how many times you? Have, I mean, where does she find those people? It's just it's incredible what she comes up with. It's oh, incredible. It's so easy to yeah. But I mean, but by the way, I was sitting there sick, feeling horrible. I didn't want to feel worse. Oh. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to be disgusted and nauseated and febrile <laughs> and foggy. So, all right, we got to wrap this up. Uh, Kroll is going to be here in a minute. We have to do an Adam and Drew show. So, uh, Lisa, as always, uh, it's scary and a privilege and a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> always it, love talking it, to it, you. Yeah, but we have a. We, at least we have a. Uh, like a, a new objective, right? Coming yes. Out of this. No, I, I wrote it down. Like, yeah. I, I really, I really would it. like to kind of keep this top of mind, and and because uh, because I've been it's I've been swimming around. I keep hearing about the two thirty initial, you know, stuff, and that they're going to eventually do something, and that there are armies of attorneys sort of ramping up and getting ready. But I don't see hear anything specific, and so to put something at the point of the spear would be nice if we can really come up with something. Yeah, that I mean, gets people behind it. Solution. There yeah. are definitely solutions yeah. out there, and we yeah. just have to push through so all right the yeah. book is on uh no the recent book is unplugged the book coming up is digital distress which is what i'm feeling right now uh it's coming out soon and in the meantime if you want to hear more go to the point with dr lisa stroman and uh follow her on twitter at dr lisa stroman you, are you gonna you're putting up the gaggle stuff there am i following yes, you i'll put it up do i, I follow don't know. you while you're checking, I'll just, I hope so. While, yeah. while Drew's checking for that, I'll just say, Lisa, um, I hope we have you back. But either way, watch out for your inbox in about four years when I start to deal with this. I'm, I'm sure I'll be berating you. Uh, oh, I will be there for you, Gary, anytime. Hold on. I'm going to make sure. L-I-S-A Strom. It's just one word. S-T-R-O-H-M-A-N, right? There it is. Okay. And I'm following. Okay. Good. All right. We will talk to you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. 
The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device.